Welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through His ordinary ways. I'm Winston Weber, and as per the usual, I have Pastor Mike with me. Mike, your line is Winston is awesome and or hi, your choice. Good to see you today, Winston. Neither of those were your (laughs) line, but... That's neither here nor there. I'm glad that you're here today, Mike, and we're going to talk about a topic that has immersed the church in a bit of controversy for many centuries, baptism. We are going to immerse ourselves in this. I'll tell you, some people just, this topic doesn't float with some people, though. No, you're right. I mean, we're not going to be sprinkling this. We're going to be taking the full plunge. We're fully immersing today. Are we going to plunge three times into this, though? We're going to fully immerse ourselves in this topic. Oh, man. All right. Now that people have stopped listening because of the terrible puns, let's move on and actually talk about baptism. People have literally fought and died over the issue of baptism, which has led many of us to wonder why. Uh, Is baptism that big of a deal? Do we even need to be baptized? I mean, does baptism save? Does it not? So if it doesn't, like, why do we need to be saved? If it does, then what happens to those who aren't? What even is baptism? So, Mike, what do I need to know right off the bat before diving fully in? That time, no pun intended. (laughs) Before diving fully in, what, what do I need to know just off the bat? Well, off the bat, you need to know what the Bible says about baptism. We're going to talk about that today. But I think another thing you need to think about is how people follow their traditions or their own thoughts more than they follow the Word of God. And and let me just touch on that a minute. Uh, a, A misconception that's very common is that you have to get baptized to go to heaven or that baptism saves you or washes away your sin. And based on the Bible, it's obvious that is not true. A little further on, we'll talk about what exactly is believer's baptism. But the fact that Uh, baptism doesn't save you is abundantly clear in the Bible. Only Jesus saves you. Only Jesus forgives you of sin. No amount of effort or good works on on your part could ever earn you salvation. So salvation is based on the grace and mercy of God, not on you getting dipped into water. You know what I'm saying? So if that's the case, then why even bother getting baptized? Because baptism is something that Jesus commands his followers to observe. That is the number one reason in obedience to God. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and here's what he says to the people. He says, repent. So every time you see that word repent in the Bible, in, in the, you know, the apostolic preaching and, and places like that, what it means is believe the gospel message. Turn from your sins and turn and trust in Christ. But he says, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a loaded verse because a lot of people have taken this to mean baptismal regeneration, like it saves you. But it means this, repent. Okay, so that's the command there. Repent, turn from your sins, believe in Jesus, believe the gospel, and each of you be baptized in the name of Christ for or because you've been forgiven of your sins. So I just started with one of the more controversial Bible verses. I mean, let's just tackle that one first, okay? Whether or not it's a requirement for salvation, obvious. It is not. Baptism is not required for salvation. Some use this verse to say that you have to get baptized to be saved. Not true. Now, rarely is a doctrine made out of one single verse. The main verb, okay, is this verb to repent, and it's in, it's the aorist imperative. It's a command. It means to change your mind. This is the initial repentance of a sinner to salvation. Uh, the verb translated baptized That's an indirect passive imperative. It's a command to receive. That's why it's in the passive voice. It's not the same as the command to repent. Mm. So the idea is uh, repentance is is identifying you as someone who's saved by Jesus. 
And then following repentance, you get baptized, which provides this external identification to other people that you're a believer in Jesus. So repentance is inward, something that is between God. Baptism involves other people. You do this in front of other people. So repentance is is presented there in Acts 2.38 as identifying you with the forgiveness of your sins because you trusted in Christ. Baptism following repentance gives an external identification that's visible to other people. So repentance is something that concerns you between you and God. Baptism is something that's done publicly in front of others. And that's why the idea of being immersed, that's in the passive voice, indicates you don't baptize yourself but is baptized by another, usually in the presence of others. Repentance, however, is this act that takes place in your heart as the Holy Spirit moves you to repent and to to believe. The big thing I wanted to bring out there is Acts 2.38 does not demonstrate that baptism is essential for salvation, but that baptism is something that we receive in order to publicly identify ourselves completely and totally with Christ. And that's that really manifests the inward work of God that he has done within us. So we're outwardly showing our inner faith. So then why, if that's the case, why are there so many different modes and opinions and understandings of baptism? If it's a command to all the church and presumably is something that has been going on since Pentecost, why? Why is there so many, why is there so much confusion on this issue? I Seriously think there's two reasons. One, people don't read their Bibles for themselves. And second, they go with the party line, their denomination, their tradition. Nowhere in the Bible does it state that we are justified by grace, faith, and baptism, or faith and anything else. We're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But baptism is something that Jesus said to do. Now, baptism is not part of the gospel message. Believe in Jesus is the gospel message, right? Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day. You need to believe in him. He took your place, paid for your sins. And the idea, even Paul, Paul was was shook up about this. You know, there was confusion in Paul's day. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one could say you were baptized into my name. He said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, because baptism has gotten so confusing. People don't read their Bibles and see what it really says, and people go along with the party line. Now, kind of along that line, I kind of want to bring up something that you might not be prepared for, but just go with me for a second. Baptism, which corresponds to to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Mm Mm-hmm. I preached on that when I preached through First Peter. We should look up that. Anybody that's listening, go ahead and uh, dial up our sermons page and and see what I said about First Peter three eight through twelve. I believe uh, twenty one three twenty one. First Peter three twenty one. Right. It, it doesn't mean what it seems to say. Okay. Okay. Um, and let's let me go back. If, if somebody's yeah, listening to this, it's First Peter three twenty one twenty one. And I believe it's the, the passage is 18 to 22. First Peter 3, 21, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, not water baptism. Okay. Okay. But an appeal to God for a good conscience. That's the key. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's not water baptism. So I believe that's what it's looking at. Let me look really quick here. Okay. You have to look at the verses ahead. It says, because they formerly did not, dis- did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah 
while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Corresponding to the ark and God saving eight people, baptism now saves you. And he says, not the removal of dirt from the body. So not water baptism. But here's what we're to reject. We are to reject on the teaching of scripture and the teaching of this verse, any suggestion that water baptism saves us. Now you're like, but wait a minute. That it verse says baptism now, now saves, saves you. you. Yeah. So we are saved by the death and resurrection of Christ. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. First Peter 1.3 says God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, nothing to do with baptism there. I don't even know who said this, but I've got a quote about this. The ark passing safely through the flood provides a figure of God's method of saving men out of inevitable judgment. First, God delayed the day of judgment long enough for an ark to be prepared. Then the souls that went into the ark did not avoid the judgment. Rather, in the ark, they were saved through the very water which drowned others. And because of it, they passed out of the old world into the new world. When they emerged from the ark, they are literally found that the old things had passed away and all things were become new. So this figure is fulfilled in Christ. He was prepared of God to come in the fullness of time. The judgment due to sin and sinners was meanwhile delayed. Then the judgment fell upon him as the flood waters upon the ark. When the sin, when sinners take refuge in Christ, they do not avoid the judgment due to sin. They are saved through its falling upon Christ. And because of it, instead of meeting their own doom, they are brought safe to God. And so only those who were in the ark were saved. Only those who had in that sense identified with the ark were saved. You're baptized into Christ, meaning you came to faith in Christ. Oh, okay. Okay. You're born again by the Holy Spirit. You're immersed in Christ. You're sprinkled by his blood and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So when we see somebody on Easter being baptized, that is not what First Peter 3 is talking about. It's not actually talking about being dipped underwater and being brought back up. This is, this is baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happens when you're converted. As far as I can tell, look, it seems that the water of the flood in that verse and the water baptism that we're talking about today has some sort of tie-in, right? It I seems see. like it has tie-in. It's kind of hard to ignore that wording, but sure. Peter is not talking about water baptism. He's talking about full identification with Christ, yeah. okay, in faith. So let me just say this. If someone hasn't been baptized yet and you are a believer, you need to get baptized in obedience to Christ, but you're saved either way. Uh, there is a temptation among Christians to downplay baptism. And it's because baptism is not necessary for salvation. So people will think wrongly, well, it must not be that important. But everything God says we should do in obedience to Christ is important. It's part of your sanctification. And so we obey not to be accepted by God, but because we are accepted in Christ. And, and that's one huge, major, you know, primary first step of obedience in the Christian life is getting baptized. That's why in the New Testament, you see people getting baptized right away after coming to faith in Christ. So that that seems like when we talk about baptism, we're walking this razor's edge where on the one side we can overemphasize baptism to being this you, you can't be saved. If you aren't baptized, you're not going to go to heaven. And then we can fall off the other side where we are like, eh, it's not that big of a deal, yada, yada. It's just this thing that, you know, my church does. But we see that just as all the other commandments of Christ are to be obeyed, so is baptism. Right. If you ask that question, why is believers' baptism so important for Christians, for believers? First, because Jesus says it is, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
Secondly, because Jesus' church, Christ's church, has always practiced believer's baptism from day one, Acts chapter 2. And third, because obeying Jesus' command is fully expected by God and fully enabled by God. John 15 talks all about that. So let's shift a little bit then. You just mentioned believer's baptism. You've been saying it quite a bit throughout Mm -hmm. our discussion here. What are you contrasting that against? Well, unbelievers' baptism. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. People fair. not being people getting baptized and not being regenerate. People getting baptized because that's the thing to do, or because you were a little baby in your tradition and you got baptized by your parents. Believers' baptism is where you come to faith in Christ, then you get baptized. So it never precedes conversion. So in particular, let's talk about baby baptism. Then that is a. I I think one of the more common misconceptions of baptism. Why is it a misconception? What what exactly are we talking about when we say that? This is a tough topic. And whether you're from a Catholic background, a Lutheran background, a Reformed Presbyterian background, or Baptist, Independent, Free Church, you know, Grace Church of Orange type background, it's going to affect the way you view it. Okay. Again, people are really affected by the traditions that they come out of, whether those traditions are anchored solidly in biblical teaching or not. So let's just say you came from a Catholic background. People are going to think at ground level when you talk about baptism, that baptism is something that does something, that they say it's an effective means of grace, meaning it's a means of salvation, Mm -hmm. saves you, that they say baptism washes away original sin and that no faith is required and God awakens faith through baptism. And so therefore, baptism for the Catholic is for everyone, infants, children, and adults, because it saves you. So we're going to reject that outright because nowhere in the Bible is that taught at all. So the Catholic view, completely off the map. It's not biblical. Now you take the Lutheran view, okay, where it says it doesn't really do a work in and of itself, but it's an effective means of grace when it's mixed with faith. And then a lot of Lutherans are going to say that it's essential to be saved. It gets very confusing. Interesting. And it gets it gets very, very confusing because they say, well, we're justified by faith alone but you receive the benefits of salvation through baptism. That's not biblical either. Mm -hmm. So that's why they say that's for believing children and believing adults and all infants. Mm. Where they get that, I really can't tell you, except I think it's a carryover from the Catholic Church. I see. Now, then you go to the Reformed or Presbyterian Yeah, uh, this one seems to be the most, like, (laughs) I I talked to somebody one time who said that their view on this one is basically, like, 60% they believe with us, 40% they see where the Presbyterians are coming from. Right, and a lot of time they'll say, well, you know how you guys do infant infant dedications, baby dedications? They just do wet baby dedications. (laughs) And, And really, that's not it when you really look at their meaning, okay? So... Go back to the covenant that God made with Abraham. Okay, so God made a everlasting covenant with Abraham and his offspring. And what the Reformed view or the Presbyterian view would say is that all adults who believe, as well as their children, are part of the covenant promise. I even had a friend once tell me that if I didn't baptize my babies, I was robbing them of the covenant. And I'm like, not true, buddy. Wow. Not true, buddy. And so what they say is baptism is only for believing adults and their children. Because they say that baptism joins people to the promises of the covenant, just like circumcision did. Now, here's the thing. Hmm. They say it activates the covenant. I don't agree with that at all. I don't believe it's a biblical teaching. But people that we respect very deeply taught this. For example, R.C. Sproul taught this same thing. And in his book, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith, I just cross out his chapter on infant (laughs) baptism. Okay, Uh, because it's and what he says is this. 
He says, we go from Scripture's silence. The Scriptures do not forbid baptizing infants. Therefore, we're free to do it. Interesting. And what we're going to say is we go from Scripture's uh, voice. Yeah. We're going to go from what Scripture teaches. And, be- and the Bible teaches only believers baptism. And that's where you get your Baptist, independent, free church, Grace Church of Orange kind of teaching where faith is the only effective means of grace. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change and commitment that is made. And only those who are able to and have made an expression of genuine faith can be baptized. And and you look at the word baptize. It's literally used of a sinking ship, of a drowning man, of someone being overwhelmed. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about that area then. When we talk about somebody as prominent as R.C. Sproul or Doug Wilson, those guys who we would highly respect in many, many different areas, but we disagree with them on something seemingly so so important like baptism. How how are we supposed to understand that if it's an important issue and yet we would believe they're they're super wrong on it? Right. We don't condemn them for that belief, but we say they're going outside of Scripture. And again, they're saying they're free to do it because Scripture doesn't expressly forbid it. We're saying we're not doing it because the Bible doesn't specifically teach it. There's no example in the New Testament of infants being baptized. There are only believers' baptisms. Even in Acts chapter 16, when the whole household was baptized, it said they believed he believed along with his whole household. Right. So it was all believers being baptized. This is a public act of obedience on the part of a believer. It involves being immersed in water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You Believer's baptism is where you baptize a believer. When someone who's believed in Jesus Christ, knows him as their Savior and Lord, professes that faith publicly, and they get baptized publicly giving their testimony. And I don't think we can say it enough. When we talk about baptism— it does not—you are not being baptized to be saved. Right. You're ba- being baptized because you are saved. Absolutely. It is the same way with doing any sort of good work. If I am going to love my neighbor, I don't do that in order to be saved. I do that because I am already saved, and it shows that Christ lives in me. That's the same thing that we're talking about with baptism. That's the biblical pattern. Here's the Bible examples of faith in Christ coming before baptism, preceding baptism. Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples and then baptize them. Acts 2, 38 to 41, where Peter is preaching, repent and then be baptized. In Acts chapter 8, 36 to 38, uh, why shouldn't I be baptized? That's the question that the Ethiopian eunuch asks. And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The guy says, I believe. Then Philip baptizes him. In Acts chapter 16, 31 to 34, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized because he and all his family believed. Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Many of the Corinthians who heard the gospel believed and were baptized. There you have it. So let me talk a little bit. Let me give you a hypothetical that is not super hypothetical. But suppose you're somebody like my dad who was raised first in the Lutheran church and was baptized as a little baby what should he be doing? What should he have done? So if you're a Christian, you need to be baptized in obedience to Christ. If you're an unbeliever, we call you to faith and repentance. But if you're a believer, we call you to faith, repentance, and obedience. So if you got baptized by your parents as a baby, and then you became a believer later on, you should follow the biblical model where you get baptized as a believer. So 
be like what my dad did and get rebaptized as a believer then. And that's what he did. That's what he did. Because he because he read it in the Bible and he's like, I'm gonna follow what the Bible that's said. Right. And he totally respected his parents. He loved his parents. He said, I want to do what's biblical. That's actually true. My I, I love my dad too. He was he was very thoughtful about that. <laughs> anyway, so what you're saying is if you've been baptized as a non-believer, be baptized as a believer because only only believers get baptized, right? Yes. And, and let me say this. There's a lot of believers who wait a long time to get baptized. I think it's because churches have downplayed the importance of obedience to Christ's commands. It's not popular to preach repentance and obedience. Secondly, churches have downsized the importance of church membership. Ooh. And church membership is important because you, you, get, you get saved and you link up with a body of believers. And, and we, we should dovetail that with baptism more. And then churches have downgraded the importance of baptism. But let me tell you why unbaptized believers should get baptized as soon as possible. Because disobedience to Christ is never blessed by God. Hmm. That's the first thing. God expects and enables our glad surrender and our glad obedience and I'm not really sure how or, or when things started trending this way, but it's decidedly the default for most evangelical churches to not stress the obedience aspect in baptism. It's like, hey, do you want to do this? Yeah. How about, hey, do you want to obey Jesus? So I think we've done a, the body of Christ a great disservice by downplaying baptism so much that we lead people to think it's just a choice you make if you feel the urge. So now I'm going to bring up a hypothetical of something a little bit different from, oh, I was baptized as a baby, but then came to faith later in in life. Mm -hmm. Let's say I did get baptized when I was 15, right, 16, whatever it was, and I thought I was a believer back then. But now I look back at who I was when I was 15 or 16, and I go, ooh, I don't think I was a believer back then, or I'm a little confused. Is this this about you? No, it wasn't. No, I'm sorry. You're not that friend you're talking about? I'm not that friend, no. (laughs) Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Okay, because let's say you were 15 or 16 and you truly believed, but then you got more committed. And now you look back and you're like, I don't know if I was a believer back then. You have to figure that out. I think some people don't realize that as God grows you, you become more committed. And so they they must get rebaptized all these times every time they get more committed. That's probably a fundamental misunderstanding of what baptism is. I see. If someone looks back and they say, I was not a believer then and I know I wasn't a believer then run to the baptism. Okay. Go get baptized. Uh, my my story is similar, Winston. About 12 years old, the church I was brought up in was a Protestant church. Um, wasn't real strong on the gospel, but they were big on baptism. And they were big on making sure that you got baptized so that you went to heaven. And so it was the thing to do when you were 12 years old. You walk down the aisle and you make a profession of faith in Christ and then get baptized the next week. Yes. So I did that. And that was when I was like 12 years old. But I came to faith in Christ. I was regenerated. I was born again when I was like 19, 20 years old, okay? And so what happened was I'm going to a church at that point that was teaching and preaching the Word of God accurately, and they're teaching believers baptism. And at the time, I went to my pastor and I said, I think I need to get rebaptized. And his advice was kind of interesting to me. He said, well, was it a meaningful experience for you when you were young? I'm like, well, kind of, because I felt like I wasn't going to get in trouble is often. <laughs> I remember when I got baptized at age 12, I'm thinking, maybe I won't get in trouble as much as I used to. And maybe people will like me more, you know, that lasted for like two days. And what happened was this pastor talked me out of getting baptized again. He's like, you know what, you don't really want to upset your family or make them think that what they, you know, encourage you to do when you were younger, wasn't that important. And I would never want to do that, right? You never want to 
make your family feel bad. Well, what happened was a couple years later, a pastor was preaching and he made it very clear. He said, baptism never comes before salvation. It always comes after conversion. And literally, I was so convicted, and I was already on staff at the church at that time. And I went down the aisle and said, I need to get rebaptized. This was 1988, and I had gotten saved in 1982. And so I went and got baptized again because I knew that I wasn't saved the first time I got baptized. And I wanted to make sure I was going into ministry. I was going to be baptizing people. I wanted to make sure that I had followed the biblical model. Interesting. So you kind of on the flip side for me is— I thought I, I I believe I got baptized when I was about eleven or so, and I'm pretty sure I was saved at four. I, I was I'm I always say it's I was like Angela too. Yeah. Angela was the same way. I always say that I was very blessed, and I mean this with some seriousness, most seriousness. But I I have a pretty boring testimony, and I'm really happy about that. <laughs> uh, and. I didn't get baptized until I was 11 or 12 and I, you know, went to Bible college and I went to through seminary and I was just like, oh, you know, oh, was I really saved back then? You know, did I really understand the gospel? And looking back on it, I really wrestled with this. I didn't know if I was saved back when I got baptized. And thinking back, I, I really I had to ask my mom, my dad, like mm -hmm. talk to me about who I was spiritually when I actually got baptized. And it was hard. I had yeah. to work through that issue. I, I, I'm very confident now that mm -hmm. I was baptized as a believer. Mm -hmm. But that was a hard step. And it took a long time for me to come to that. And I I. I don't want to make baptism nothing, so I didn't jump in the water right right then to get rebaptized. Right. But I also wanted to take care and know did I actually be obedient to Christ? Absolutely. And you know what that's an example of? You were trusting the community of faith. You were trusting the church. In this setting, it was your parents. What was I like back then? Remind me of what I was like because you remember better than me what I was like back then. So I think that's actually a good thing. Some people go back and get baptized again. I just think you don't want to do anything haphazardly or because people expect it. You want to do it because you are convinced that this is the right thing to do, biblically speaking. So I guess this is kind of the easy question, the layup question then. How do I get baptized? Well, if you're a follower of Christ and you're in a church that's teaching the Bible, they're going to be giving you opportunities to be baptized. Okay. So at Grace, we say, hey, we're going to have baptisms on Easter. We have one coming up and, you know, every several months or so, you're going to get an opportunity to be baptized. Or if you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, go talk to one of your pastors and elders. If you're from Grace Church of Orange and you haven't been baptized, tell me about it. Tell one of our pastors and elders about it. Um, there are examples in the Bible over and over again of believing men, women and children, even households getting baptized because they're professing their faith in Christ. So just go do it. Let me go with another question, though. When sure. when should I get baptized? Ooh, okay. that's a good one, yeah. Well, biblically, immediately after conversion would be a good one, right away. Or soon after coming to faith in Christ. So in, in Acts, you see both of those, actually. How can I get baptized at Grace Church of Orange? Well, just talk to one of us, and, and we're going to make sure you get baptized. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that you have a solid testimony of truly coming to faith in Christ, that you have trusted your whole life, to Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. You believe it with all your heart. So we're going to make sure that you have a testimony of faith. You're going to write out your testimony and share that at your baptism. You're going to invite your family and friends. You know, if it's at the beach, you're going to see total strangers watching you get baptized, right? Publicly professing your faith in Christ and your love for him. Amen. And if that sounds a little intimidating to some of you, look, I, I, I've sat in 
as a uh, as kind of just the buffer for a lot of people in a in a baptism class. They're a lot of fun. I mean, what's more fun than just sitting down and talking about how God has changed your life? Yeah. Isn't it great to hear people's testimonies? Yeah. Like this shouldn't be an arduous task. It's the same thing with membership, which we'll get into later. But when people meet with the elders, it's like, no, this is awesome. We get to talk about Christ and how he has changed us. Absolutely. Every time you give your testimony, you know, you put a new nuance on it or you remember something you didn't remember before. And it's like, share your testimony as often as you can. So at your baptism, this should not be the, the first or the last time you share your testimony. That's right. So uh, last thing on that, just especially for those of you who are listening from Grace, uh, we have on our website, graceorange.org slash baptism is uh, where you can sign up for the baptisms. Or again, just come talk to us face to face. We want to help you serve Christ, which is through baptism. Absolutely. Let me finish with this one statement. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 told us exactly what the gospel is. And this is the gospel that saves. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And I just want to note that Paul states in the gospel what saves, and that's the gospel that saves. Nowhere does he mention baptism in that definition of the gospel. So get it straight, get it clear. Jesus saves. Because Jesus saves you, you want to obey him by being baptized. And that is going to wrap up this episode of Ordinary Church. If you want to get a hold of us or ask a question, maybe suggest a topic, go ahead and email us at ordinarychurch at gmail.com. Also, last thing, Ordinary Church stems from Grace Church of Orange, but is designed to be useful to anyone who goes to any Christian church and wants to pursue a faithful life. We want to be useful beyond the walls of Grace Church of Orange, and that starts with getting the word out. Maybe maybe suggest this episode to a friend. Maybe suggest specific episodes, or maybe just leave us a review on iTunes. Any of those things help, uh, and we really would appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next Thursday as we remain faithful, even in the ordinary. <laughs>